Welcome to RLF Radio, the only show that helps young baseball players and their parents prepare for high school athletics and beyond. Brought to you by the Ryan Lemon Foundation, with your host, Dick Owens, Guy Lemon. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, Guy Lemon with the uh, Ryan Lemon Foundation, and I'm here with... uh, the inimitable Dick Owens. Dick, thanks for being here. <laughs> hey, thanks, uh, Guy. I appreciate that. I just wanted to say real quick, we're going to continue, and Guy's going to touch on this, our conversation that we've had with Adam Auer. But uh, some of you sent in some interesting uh, observations on our last one with Adam. We appreciate that uh, through our uh, through our, the website. So keep those questions coming, and we're going to try to answer some of those tonight. Good, and uh, we'd like to introduce our guest and those of you that listened last week you uh, know his background we we are here with uh, adam hour who is the strength and conditioning coach one of the coaches in the angel the los angeles angels minor league system and uh, while we'll introduce him in just a second for those of you that are hearing this for the first time please go to the ryan lemon foundation website and you'll be able to see some of the prior podcasts that we've done and i would very much encourage you to listen to last week's uh interview that we did with adam for some of the more detailed things, we're going to kind of just move forward from that and some other detailed areas about lifting, nutrition, hydration, um, what to do, what not to do, shoulder programs, software, apps. So we've got lots of topics to cover. But at any rate, with that, we'd like to introduce our, our guest for tonight, Adam Auer with the uh, Los Angeles Angels. Adam, thanks for being here again. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be back again. Absolutely. And I know that uh, very briefly, just for those that hadn't heard and if they're going to listen to the first podcast after this one, just give a real quick summary of, of your background and what your role currently is with the uh, with the Angels. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a minor league strength and conditioning coach and uh, just completed my fifth year with the organization and am currently in the AA position with our AA team. And for those of you, uh, and Adam is being a little bit modest, in addition to all his involvement, to just realize the emphasis that the Angels and many major league clubs put into strength and conditioning, they've got a full-time strength and conditioning guy that stays with the club throughout the season. Adam, you get to do the bus rides just like the players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ride along with them. Ride along oh, with boy. them. Boy, eight-hour eight-hour bus rides. Well, and, like and, and so it does. It does speak to for those that are listening at the high school and the grade school level. Strength and conditioning, certainly from thirty years ago, even twenty years ago, even ten years ago, has become a much bigger component that the clubs have an investment in players, and even to the young man, you you've got an investment in your body and you want to keep it healthy to be as successful as you can be. And so we're trying to provide that information in this baseline of, of strength and conditioning. So, again, Adam, thank you for being here. Let, thank let's, you for having me again. Let, let's start a little bit by uh, let's talk about uh, nutrition. I mean, we'll, we'll go back to a subject that may not may be a little boring on the one hand, but I think you've kind of mentioned it's a pretty important between nutrition, hydration, and, and sleep. Do you want to just touch on how you wh- what you think about that relative to the overall strength and conditioning process? But, I mean, definitely, definitely important, especially, you know, when when we're on the road, we we take all the players and staff, you know, away from their homes. They're on the road for five months, and we worked it out to where I think 80% of the meals are, are away from home, you know, or at the, at the stadium. So that nutrition can be a very... Uh, difficult difficult thing to uh to maintain throughout the course of a season but we try to just view view food as fuel 
and uh, and know that every food has a purpose. And uh, we're just trying to uh, trying to combat all the uh, the rigors of the season and and try to use food and nutrition as uh, as a means of recovery for for our athletes. So when we think about you know just the daily rigors and what we're going through, we're we're trying to hydrate as much as possible. You know, we think about you know four to six liters of water, or 120 to 200 ounces of water a gallon of water during the day wait wait i gotta stop you right there just everybody i i visualize a milk carton you're talking two or three yeah. milk cartons of water per day well just one just one one just one, one, one okay. gallon a, a, a gallon well i'm thinking of the little cartons. yeah yeah no no but but still a, a gallon i just want to repeat a gallon of water and that's assuming that a, a player is sweating a lot uh is yeah. that just in the so, that that's assuming that's he's the, exercising and so on well, especially for us or the team that I was with during the season, we were in Alabama, so uh, we were dealing with some some pretty serious heat and, and humidity, and, you know, that takes a lot out of the guys. They lose a lot of fluid during the day. And something that people may not know is when in the minor leagues, we play 140 games in probably about 152 days. So as far as our lifting protocol goes, our, our players are lifting – practicing and playing a game all on the same day right Right? so that's maybe not something that everybody knows but it's it's the reason why some of those numbers seem so inflated so let me ask you a question if i'm a high school player and i've got a game at 315 and when should i hydrate how far in advance from that 315 as soon as you wake up in the morning okay so consume that gallon of water all day. Yeah, so as soon as you wake up in the morning, 16 ounces of water. So we generally we try to have our players um, wake up with a bottle of water beside their bed. Wow, fill, fill the tank is what you're saying. Fill the tank. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now, now, how do you think, and I'm not looking for you to sponsor a particular product, what's your thought between sugary soda pop drinks and I, I don't mean to characterize those as being negative but but soda pop type drinks to the I'm going to use the brand Gatorade but but the 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 drinks that are that are advertised as being nutritional as against just pure water do you have any any thoughts in those regards as to which kinds of drink or, or particular products are better throughout the day in the morning water as opposed to the other stuff so I would hydrate I would hydrate mostly with water and then obviously we're going to get we're going to get water from fruits and vegetables that we eat, so stuff that we're ingesting during the day. Something that's pretty important for us as far as replacing electrolytes during or, or lost during um, athletic events, whether it's a workout or, or a game or practice, whatever it may be. So those sport drinks like Gatorade uh, are really good at replenishing those electrolytes. Seeds, we don't really think about sunflower seeds, but there's a high sodium content in those which is going to help us retain retain more water um, and replace those electrolytes. So there actually is a reason that people eat them other than to just make a mess on the dugout floor. <laughs> Absolutely. So well, That's good to yeah, know. Those, uh, well, that, no, that is that important. Is I mean, it, you know, hey, Mom and Dad, when you think it's just silly to see them eating and spitting seeds, it's the sodium, it's the salt that helps create the balance and the electrolytes. And, and your point would be if a guy's playing – uh, in the case of high school kids, a seven-inning game and sweating, particularly a pitcher or a catcher, if they don't replenish, 
I guess what you're saying is, Adam, and this is a question, that, that there increased the probability of not performing well towards the back half of the uh, of the competition if they're not well hydrated. Correct. I mean, we, we just open ourselves to an increased chance or increased risk of soft tissue, soft tissue strains, muscle pulls. So we want to, we try to think of, of our, our muscles like, like raw meat. And if we can stay hydrated and keep our electrolytes up, it's more like raw meat rather than beef jerky. So oh, that's a great analogy. That's an that's an image yeah. I can understand. Yeah. yeah, beef jerky may taste good, but it doesn't look very good. And uh, raw meat that's supple and juicy, and that's really your point, that the muscle stays better and you decrease pulls. So that, that's one that even high school kids can relate to is the pulling of a muscle. And, and, and what you're saying is that may be at least in part caused by the lack of good nutrition or the lack of salt in the body? Absolutely. Let, let's let's, let's so. shift a little bit to, I, I, we want to talk about everybody has apps and computers and access to things. And we, we talked at the other session a little bit about the mechanics of lifting. Uh, are, are there resources that a, that a young man can go to to try and find, well, how, okay, how do I do a, a deadlift? How do, how do I do a, a kettlebell squat? Any, any thoughts as to how they might learn and find with kids access to computers and YouTube and all that? Your thoughts on that? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So, YouTube What would a kid look up? Be, YouTube could be a, a very you know, useful, um, useful platform to, to go view exercises, especially for those visual learners. But maybe when you, when you type in, you know, baseball exercises or exercises for baseball players, I've noticed that, you know, I came across an article that said 10 best baseball exercises. And while all of those movements are movements that we use in our program, it's very difficult to say that that those are the best movements to enhance baseball ability. Quite often it comes down to, you know, programming um, and utilizing those exercises in in certain phases, um, at certain different at different points along along the way during the season. So it's it's difficult to to say that one specific exercise or ten specific exercises are the best for that athlete. You know, but but I guess what you are saying though is that I mean at least from what I've understood. On whatever exercise you're doing, whether it's something as simple as a curl or a complex sure. exercise of a reverse lunge, there's a proper way to do it and an improper way that either isn't achieving the result you desire. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to form this as a question. So even if if it's not the 10 best exercises, if somebody goes on these apps and they can see how the exercise is done and have it explained and then pay particular attention to the mechanics. Just your comment about the importance of mechanics in a particular exercise? Absolutely. I mean, the we're looking at their ability to move proficiently, you know, and doing anything really well technique-wise is better than doing one thing very poorly. You know, if it's more bang for your buck to do one exercise, but um, your mechanics and your technique are very poor, then um, it kind of loses its its luster and, and and its ability to enhance your abilities. Do, just on, on that side of the mechanic, do you have a preference, or is it different times in the year 
where it's low rep, high weight versus high rep, low weight on a particular exercise? Any any magic formula in that regard? I don't know that there's necessarily a, a magic formula, but I mentioned in in our in our previous podcast that starting in our general um, preparedness phase, um, our general general physical preparedness. Are, we're working more so on, on work capacity, and our rep ranges are going to be a little bit higher, 10 to 12, upwards of, of possibly 15, depending on how the exercise is loaded or if you're using weight. And, and if on those, whether it's 12 or 15, I just interrupt on one thing, should the 12th one or the 15th one be you can barely do it? And is that the way to measure that you've got the right weight? How do you know if you're doing 15 reps? Should I use five pounds or fifty pounds? How do I if I can get to how do I how do I know the right rep for the weight? How do I get how do I figure that formula out? Uh, a lot of it comes with practicing the movement and and kind of experimenting with it and knowing what your rep max is. Um, that's a that's a whole different topic to get into, but um, we generally try to work off of percentages um, and. And if you're doing, you know, 12 to 15 reps, maybe you're looking for a weight where you might be able to do two more reps, where we're not we're not struggling with that weight, but we're nearing fatigue. And I'll put words in your mouth, in part because if you are struggling to do the last one, your mechanics are so bad, the exercise is not worth the effort. Is that kind of why Correct. you... Why yeah. you stop? Because I yeah, see guys absolutely. struggling, you know, you know, whether it's young athletes or just gym rats like me. That, you know, as an old guy, old rat, an old rat, yeah, very old rat. That that it's struggling for that last one, and the mechanics just look horrible. And your point is, don't do that. The bad mechanics make it yeah. make it invaluable, yeah. not valuable to do the exercise. It's it's not a quality rep. Yeah, that's that's the key. Quality so, reps. So, question for you too. Um, I've got kids that, that think that the best exercise is to go bench press 300 pounds if they can and because they think they're going to be able to hit home runs by doing that. Is that recommended? Is that something that they should just go in the uh, in the weight room and just start doing that and lifting whatever they can lift, or, or is that not a good idea for them? I think, again, that, that comes with your your ability to move that weight proficiently. So... If the athlete can execute a quality set using 300 pounds on his bench press, yep. then then that that exercise can be put into their program. Right, because most of the things um, today are bigger, faster, stronger. Right, this is our deal. Yeah. Yeah. What What, what about? Uh, do you have any myth busters? Things that you think are you know absolute must, whether in any aspect of strength and conditioning or. Boy, this is a fallacy that you've heard, but don't do that. Do you have any uh, myths in either direction? Yeah, this was a question that was sent in to us by Paul. So we appreciate that, Paul, if you're listening out there. Uh, I think that I think that for, for a long time we had kind of in overhand sports um, like baseball, volleyball, we kind of stayed away from overhead exercises. So moving weight overhead like a press, where now we're we're not as afraid of, of that movement anymore, and and recognize that um, when we spend so much time 
in that position, in that throwing mechanic position, that we we need to build strength and stability in in the shoulder. So completely staying away from doing any overhead exercises, I think would would probably not be a good idea. But on the other hand of that as well, to regards with your your bench press comment, you know, if the the ability to um, move that weight overhead is is not a quality tech of quality technique or movement, then I would, you know, decrease the weight. <laughs> right, right. So, so this is for rotator cuff and that, right? And that's what I was just going to get to. I mean, we, we all know every baseball team is dependent upon the quality of its pitching. And for you guys in the, that have to play so many games in, in, on an everyday basis, not only the, the quality of the pitching, but the durability of the pitchers. And obviously, elbow and shoulder. Um, can you touch on some things and concerns and to focus on for the pitchers? Just five minutes of suggestions for pitchers. What do they focus on? What should they work on? What's important? What's what should they stay away from? Um, we and I know that's probably a question that you could take two hours on, but we'll give you five yeah. minutes. <laughs> so, so we have. Um, we have a shoulder program that that we've implemented with with our players. It generally doesn't exceed any more than five pounds. Um, Boy, that's a good one. Did everybody hear that? Five pounds. But go on. I just that's. I want to make sure that wasn't a typo. Five pounds. Okay, go well, we ahead. To, well, we have to think about the rotator cuff muscles in that they're they're all very very small muscles. We're not we're not using our quads or our pecs or our glutes you know these are very very small muscles that have to be able to um withstand the the forces of throwing a throwing a ball overhand which is which is not a natural movement so well and i know um, on that point it's both acceleration and deceleration is it? it's both being able to manage both sides of that correct 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 so that's that's generally why we use um lighter lighter weights for our uh cuff work so that we can specifically attack the cuff muscles and we don't end up using um our larger deltoids traps in in that movement so we're really working on just increasing the endurance of of those cuff those rotator cuff muscles I've always heard, in, in regards to that, I've always heard as it relates to the endurance in the shoulder that running for a pitcher is very important. What, what's your thought? And, and I've heard this comment about, okay, pitcher, you just went, whether it's in the off season if you're doing a uh, winter game and you throw 30 pitches or a full game, and I see it in spring training at the professional level, guys go, pitchers go run in the outfield. What, what's that all about, and how important is the, the whole aspect of running relative to pitching? I think that because pitchers obviously don't run when they compete, right? So, with the, the whole aspect of running, um, we're moving we're moving away from the long slow distance. Oh, um, oh, there's a there's an epiphany. I would. I, okay, that's great. Everybody, let's pay let's pay real close attention. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Kids will like to hear that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no more no more mile or two mile long runs after your uh, no doing poles after your. After your <laughs> Ooh, we're going to have to send a news flash out favorite, to every every coach topic. in the county. But go ahead, yeah, I'm all ears. 
No, we uh, we just find that um, those repetitive mo- movements of that long, slow distance running um, just puts compressive forces on our knees and our lumbar spine, and we just choose to use other modalities for for our recovery, such um, as such as the um, some of the circuit training ideas. Well, I had mentioned in the previous podcast about trying to get our heart rate between 120 to 150 beats per minute, um, which is what we use for cardiac output. We're trying to increase the um, the strength of, of the heart, right? And uh, if we can get some blood flow um, through the through the body, then then we'll be able to increase our or uh, increase our recovery. Um, so something as simple as getting on a bike or or uh, walking on a treadmill yeah. is something that is going to help is going to help with recovery without um, those compressive forces on the knees. And so, uh, so to a high school player that may have access to a gym, but immediately after a game. Does he? Can he wait an hour and then go do that? Is there something he can do right at the end of a game, or if he's if it's a winter game and he's pitched his three innings, um, and he's going to sit there and watch his guys, you know, play for another three or four? Anything the player should do right after, or is it? Hey, when you can get to the gym and do a cycling for twenty minutes, that's the right thing to do. How, how, how do you? Yeah, it can be. It can be. It can definitely be the the next day. Uh, um, doesn't it? Because I thought the old school was, oh, you finish pitching, go go run poles. You, you guys aren't yeah. advocating that now. No, because I've heard the term lactic acid. Is that is that a, a an old school phrase that that doesn't have the same relevancy relative to baseball activities? I mean, I know it does in endurance sports. Right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily hold hold the weight that that we had uh, that they had previously thought. All right. Well, that's great. I, there, I know that another area I wanted to get into, and we're kind of getting close to running out of time. And you've talked about exercises. You guys must use some software. I, I can imagine that, that you know, in this day of technology, do you have a proprietary software that you use? Is there something that 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 is out there in the public space? I, you you've mentioned it. The the can you describe we, what you guys use and a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, we use we use Team Builder. Um, it's a it's an application that the players can download on their phones, um, and and allows us as strength coaches to program their workouts individually specified to their needs, and then and then it just pops up it just pops up on their on their application and and that's their their workout for the day. Well, let me. I'm going to interrupt on that one just for a minute because I know we talked about this at some length. So, if anybody's listening, it is available to be purchased. Uh, Adam said it's probably a thousand dollars, and it's really yeah, it's, not intended. And Adam, c- correct me if I'm wrong. It's not necessarily meant for an individual to use individually, as it is the, the obviously the word team builder. Team builder. It's a yeah. it's a team functionality, but it is publicly available. And so, if anybody hears about it, I would say to you. It's a team expense, or you know, ten yeah. guys join up and do it. And Adam, the other thing you mentioned is the app is passive in the sense that you've still got to know how to program the the exercises. It doesn't just give you ten exercises, correct? Correct. And correct. It has, it yeah, has we, to be somebody like you that would know what exercises they need to do, right? 
Yeah, uh, I believe that they have a, a workout library that, that they? comes with okay. the membership, but actually programming, actually programming the lifts. I mean, I would always recommend that um, a professional is overseeing. Right. So I guess the takeaway, if there are any listeners that want to try and implement this into, as part of a team, whether it's a club team or something else, I know some people have the ability to spend money, whether it's a high school team or a club team or a group of guys getting up, team builder, we, we have no affiliation to it, but if it's being used at the major league level, um, and I know you said you use it, you know, clearly you guys have 100, 150 guys and you monitor them year-round. So it's a resource that is very expansive and capable. But, but I think, as you told me, it is applicable to a group of 20 guys. Again, if you have somebody that's knowledgeable, kind of overseeing and managing it. Mm-hmm. And I know the other thing, how, how many different, within your, for lack of a better word, portfolio of exercise, I think this is a, an amazing fact, how many different exercises do you have to choose from to try and implement an individual player's exercise regimen? Uh, currently, that's that's what we were working on uh, this these past couple weeks, and in, in building our library and uh, um, associating videos to each of our movements. But our our library is pushing about 400 exercises right now. Yeah. So again, so in case anybody here thinks that's a typo, four is we're trying to do something in a half an hour. Professionally, they've got a staff of people creating 400 different exercises that are, I assume, position-specific, season-specific, and whether you're in shape or out of shape, whether you're rehab or not. So it's a, it's a, it's a matrix of uh, exercises and circumstances that apply, and I guess the point is that's why you need a professional. Yeah. That's why you've yeah, got a job and a career. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. So, Adam, a question for you on uh, – I've got kids that are 10, 11 years old. Should they be – Lifting weights, should they be worried about this? Uh, should they just be playing baseball only? Should they what what's the take there when you get to be in the in the major league level? What's the consensus? Uh, at that at that young of an age I would uh, I would definitely recommend to uh, to get involved with as many sports as possible. Just so that like we, we had previously talked about, you don't fall into the same movement patterns in right. that same um, throwing and hitting, especially if you're right side dominant on both, um, that you're exposing your children to as as many different sports as possible, just to try to build that complete athlete. You know, right? And and I, it's kind of a myth uh, with parents these days. You have to be able to play just one sport in order to be able to get a scholarship to go to school. That seems to be you know that's the priority sometimes, and that's not necessarily what makes gets you a scholarship sometimes right it's not just playing that yeah, one sport right. 12 months a year well you know just right, as, i think that there's there's a time there's a time to become sport specific right and maybe that is in uh the later years of high school when when you've developed the complete athlete already they've been exposed to as many sports as possible right. and they've been able and I think that this is the most important part, that they have been able to choose which sport they prefer. Correct. That's correct. Let the the kid figure out what he wants to do. When when we had a chance to talk before these podcasts, we were just sitting around having some beers together, and you had mentioned something that I found very interesting as you talked about players that get drafted. 
and whether they're from Costa Rica, Venezuela, Southern California, or Canada, that one of the things you guys look at is, and I don't remember the phraseology you use, but the, but their years of training, and you assessed players both based in terms of their draft prospect, both as sure. to their their tools and their training level. Could you speak to that? I don't remember exactly what we what we, we said. We use the the term training age. Training age, yeah, key. Basically, yeah, right. it just specifies how many years the athlete has been weight training or is you know familiar with uh, with with the exercises. Um, so we would generally find that our players from Latin America have a lower training age when they're signed as free agents, possibly at the age of sixteen, than than a high school athlete may. You know, there we in North America are um, exposed to weight training at uh, a younger age, and and uh, so so a high school athlete may have four years of of uh, training age, whereas a player from Latin America may only have a year or two. Got it. Well, and I guess the point is that you guys factor that in. So if some kid is 14 years old and hasn't done any weight training, he's not already behind the power curve. It, it is still athletic skill and then conditioning. And it's it's this uh, somewhat nebulous process of, of weighting and evaluating one versus the other as you assess a, a young man's skill set, whether he's in high school or college. Yeah, and generally, you know, the lower the training age, the higher the higher the ceiling of uh, enhancing enhancing specific abilities related to sport, you know? Yep. Well, so I guess that's a good message to say if a young man hasn't had the chance to weightlift, don't give up. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're sealing the point. You're sealing your, the, the highest level of your success may come a little later in life. That's why I've always said at a different level, as long as somebody doesn't take your uniform away from you and you want to keep playing, that maybe you reach that, that training maturity or that physical maturity when you're a junior in college or a sophomore in college and not necessarily as a, as a high school junior. Some kids are, are gym rats and, and have reached that training max or near that ceiling at an early age. One thought as we're talking, and I'm just curious as to your idea maybe to wrap this up. So I'm a parent of a kid, and I'm at a school where they may or may not, or a club team or wherever. Just an idea, if, if four or five guys got together and said, hey, could we share the cost and go to a, a gym and find a trainer to help us develop a program, not to be at the gym week after week, it, it strikes me just as we're talking, that's not a bad idea. If it doesn't have a lot of money, four or five guys band together, go to a 24-hour fitness or Equinox or Life Fitness or wherever. Wouldn't you think that's a that's a good idea to find a professional and just ask, hey, does this guy knowledgeable on baseball and at least show us the workout and then send us off on our own? What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think that, you know, group, group training is, is obviously a little bit more affordable than um, than individual training. So, you know, if, if a, a couple of teammates wanted to get together and, and approach a, a professional to, to develop a program, um, that might, that might be a good way to go about it. Okay. Well, good. I mean, maybe, you know, Hey, to mom and dad that, you know, again, if you're a little disenchanted or you don't think there's enough resources at your school or you're on a club team, find a few buddies. I mean, again, don't, don't give up or feel frustrated because you don't have professional training. But when you hear that the professional level 
they have a staff of trainers that travel with the team an entire year in a software program that has 400 exercises. That's the professional level. But you can start, and there are a couple of ways, YouTube, Google, baseball exercises. Go over this, what we've talked about, um, a couple of times, and hopefully you'll come away with uh, some knowledge. And then if you have questions, send them into Ryan Lemon Foundation, and we'll, uh, we'll try and get back to you. Or Adam will get back to you if you have something specific. So, again, Adam, I know we've, we've run out of our hour again. Thank you very much for taking the time to come back a second week. And I know we're going to invite you back because there's a lot more topics we didn't get to in any detail. So, Adam, thank you. As long, very as, you're, long as you're willing to come back. Well, yeah. That, 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 <laughs> of course, of course. And again, thank you very much. I know you took a couple days off from your uh, vacation to come visit us, so so thank you very much, and good luck to the Angels next year. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Thanks, right. Adam. Thanks, Adam. Also, for everybody, uh, you can email me, Dick, at RyanLemonFoundation.com. It's R-Y-A-N-L-E-M-M-O-N, Foundation.com. Uh, with any questions or ideas you might have for a podcast, uh, we had some good questions on this last one, which is what Guy and I covered on uh, this particular podcast. So bring those in to us. You can find us on iTunes as well. Tell your friends. Tell everybody about it. Uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, we're there. We want to continue doing this. And obviously, uh, we'll take donations, too. We're not above uh, <laughs> taking a little money for the foundation so we can continue doing these podcasts. And hopefully, uh, all of you enjoy it. And with that, this is signing off for Dick Owens. This is Guy Lemon. And as we'll remind you every week, keep swinging for the fences. Thank you and good evening. <laughs> <laughs>